Welcome to the Part-Time Outdoors Podcast. Hosted by Matt Noss and Nate Wright. Welcome back. Episode 6 of Part-Time Outdoors. A little housekeeping real quick. We'll be doing a giveaway for a Dakota Dining Dash. And we haven't decided exactly yet how we're going to do the entry, um, but it's going to be on Instagram. So if you don't have Instagram, one way to get entered is you will write a review on our podcast. It can be any of the platforms. Just take a screenshot and email it to info at parttimeoutdoors.com. And without further ado, we have Sean Butler on today from Long Spur Tracking and Outfitting. Uh, he's located in Buckhannon, West Virginia. Uh, and we're going to have him talk about what he does, his company, and uh, maybe bring some knowledge to you guys. <laughs> I know that this is one topic that I don't know a lot about. And anything with dogs, I get excited about. So now that I'm excited, sometimes my mouth goes a little bit faster than my brain. So I'll try to slow that down. But uh, welcome to the show, Sean. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it, Matt, and having us on. And uh, pleasure to talk with you and maybe do a little education. Absolutely. So the way I found out about Sean, and he'll probably correct me a little bit, but so my brother had shot, uh, I believe, a 10-point right. uh, a couple, maybe a week or two or something like that ago. And he was telling me the story about, he said, I didn't even I didn't even track it. I didn't know where I hit it. I didn't know where it went. But I don't, I don't know exactly how many acres he has, but he was, he was scared to push it. He said something happened where the limb on his uh, crossbow hit his tree stand. Mm -hmm. And it sounded like a bunch of excuses to me, but <laughs> I'll, give <him> the, <laughs> I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And... Uh, and with the leaves not falling yet, he, it was kind of hard to see where the deer went. So he kind of backed out and he had been seeing your guys' name a lot yeah. on um, Facebook for yes. uh, West Virginia Bugger, Better Bucks Management, I believe yes. it was. So yeah. he'd been seeing all kinds of stuff about you. And he said, Matt, for that price, he said, I'll call him to come track it any day. Right. So uh, I believe he took the shot from... 10 yards, something like that, 15 yards. Yeah, it wasn't a very far shot. Yeah. I mean, but uh, he said he had limb deflection right. off his tree stand. Didn't know where his arrow had hit. He did recover his arrow, though. That's always a plus. Which is a valuable <laughs> tool to a tracker to be right. able to see that arrow. And the arrow was completely covered in uh, intestinal gut material. So we knew right away we... Had a gut uh, shot. Yeah, we had a gut shot. <laughs> so when you, uh, and I explained this to your brother, Ty, whenever you have a gut shot and you say that to a tracker, we're all ears. Right. That's that's a 99% recovery. Wow. Uh, as long as the coyotes doesn't push it or the hunter doesn't push it too soon. Uh, we're going to find that deer. Which is the one thing he did right. Yes, he <laughs> backed sure. right out. Um that's what we try to do is educate hunters. Uh, West Virginia has only been legal for two years, so people aren't used to it. Uh, we track Ohio and we track Kentucky also. Those hunters down there have had the ability to use dogs for several years now, and they're they're pretty trained. They, they text you right from the tree stand, I made a crappy shot. Some of them wow. want you just to come and track because – they put a lot of money, right? Yeah, absolutely. Into we all management. <laughs> yep. So we all know how. Expensive yeah, they'll just this get a become. hold of you, and and you go track a what you think is pretty easy trackable right. deer. But yeah, your brother did everything right. He he did not follow. He went straight to the house and and got a hold of us. And well, he said so. He said he saw I think like a, a seven point and an eight point or something like that before this ten point came along. So. Yeah, like you said, you said he called you. And then, so how's that process work as far as do you guys start um, doing a diagnosis over the phone, whether you're going to come out or not? Yes. Uh, we don't we don't take every track um, just because some tracks are not viable for a dog. Um, we do, uh, do a phone interview 
try to talk to every hunter or have one of my trackers once we start getting into the rut here because we do have a network of trackers in the state. Talk to every hunter, interview them, and figure it out. Sometimes I can do it by text, right? but most of the time we're getting them on the phone, doing a really in-depth interview, a uh, series of questions, um, and we can come to, we call it a recovery plan if it's a viable track, and sometimes that might include the hunter going out and looking one more time right. on our advice. And we've actually helped probably seven or eight guys recover their deer this year without the dog, just by wow. doing some talking over the phone. But uh, once we come up with that recovery plan, we try to stick with it. So those types of questions you're asking, are you asking uh, like how far the shot is? If you got your arrow with any blood, is are those the right. types of questions you're asking? Right. Uh, what we do is we uh, we always ask how how was the deer facing? Was it broadside? Was it quartering away, quartering two? That answers a lot right there. Did you get a pass through? Did you find your arrow? Uh, one of the new things I have been asking, are you using a Luminox? So, right, right. So do you you can see that Luminox, and most guys that That's are using point. those can kind of give me a better idea where they're hitting at. Um, what kind of broadhead are you using? Yeah, well, you're jumping ahead. That's all I was going to ask you if there was, uh, if you've seen a huge difference between like mechanical versus fixed or what broadhead brand you're seeing the the best trails with. (laughs) Right. You know, and we can go ahead and talk about that too, because that is a big question. Um, Over the last two years here in West Virginia and Ohio, I mean, we've come to find out that a marginal shot taken with a Schwacker broadhead. Really? Or a Rage Hypodermic. I do like That's what I shoot, the Rage. They're, we shoot Rages. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shoot them off. Uh, Chrissy shoots them off crossbow. I shoot them off uh, compound and crossbow. They're, but we all the ones we use are cut on contact. She had she shot a deer with a hypodermic. I mean, you hit them right, it kills them. Um, but we, what we're finding out is those Schwackers... Those hypodermics coming off of a compound bow that a guy's treating like it's a rifle. He's holding on to shoulders, making a shot. You don't get any penetration. Where you can make a bad shot with a fixed blade broadhead, you'll get penetration, maybe catch one lung and get a recovery out of it. Um, we see... And it... It's not hitting on the mechanicals, but they do fail when they hit bone, especially with a lot of the setups the guys are using. Right. Small arrows, fast bows or fast crossbows, you just don't get penetration. Hmm. You get good penetration when you do, when when they hit them, you know, from the shoulder back. Right. Um, and that's a good recovery. A mechanical broadhead on a gut shot is probably a little easier recovery than a fixed blade on a gut shot because you got a bigger hole. So you're dispersing more scent. That makes sense. And that's another thing about uh, Brothers Track was my understanding there was no blood at all. None. So it, it must, I don't know if he was using fixed blade or, or, um, or mechanical or what I'm he was using. I'm trying to remember. I, th- I believe he was using Rage Broadhead. That sounds like him. Okay. Because uh, he was kind of like the connoisseur when they first came out. or okay. He was one of the first ones in the family to start shooting them. But he, he made it sound like, well, I shot through the lung, and it was it went back into the gut, and that's why there's no blood. So I, th- I probably drilled it right in the stomach. I think, <laughs> I think his deer was facing him a little bit. Yeah. And um, it did go in the last – I'm trying to remember. We see so many. Uh, it did go in the last couple of ribs and, and come out back. But um, – yeah, his had absolutely zero blood. Oh. I mean, and didn't even find any hair at impact site. Wow. If I didn't have that arrow, <laughs> he wouldn't have. <laughs> I'd been like, are you sure you hit this deer? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was one of those tracks. And um, it, uh, and that's something we see with the, the broadheads. Everybody thinks, oh, I hit it, and it's uh, there's blood everywhere. Mm-hmm. Usually that, the more blood there is, it's probably not good. Really? Yeah, because it's a muscle hit or into the shoulder. You get a lot of bleeding out that way where you tell a, a tracker, I've got a gut shot, I don't have any blood. And th- these hunters are distraught over that. And that's when our ears perk up and it's like, we so got this. When, when you're looking at, um, and we'll, we'll get into that track here in a second. So when you're looking at that blood, 
um, a lot of muscle shocks can have bubbles as well. Is that correct? Yes. So yes. a lot of people, they see bubbles like, well, I hit it in the lungs, but that's yeah. not necessarily always true. No. no. In fact, a lot of muscle shots have bubbles. We hear that 90% of the time. Well, my blood has bubbles. Okay, well, send me a picture of it, and it'll be a dark, right. very dark red. And, yeah, there's air bubbles in there, but it's air bubbles not created by the lung collapsing or, or uh, you know, contracting. It's created just from the deer movement, um, mm-hmm. the veins pumping some, some air out that's been cut. Uh, and you see it 90% of the time. So a lot of times a hunter... They look at you like you're crazy when they say, I have bubbles. Right. You, know, you didn't hit the steer in the lungs. I'm not going to lie. I didn't learn that till recently. So. <laughs> My whole life, I thought bubbles right. meant lungs too. So, And and that's why we do this, for education and right. learning. And uh, who knows, that might help someone out this season. Right. And what I tell people, you know, the, the different types of blood are very distinct. Uh, I mean, true lung blood almost looks like a shaving cream foam. That's pink and bubbled. Right. Pink and frothy. And, yes. Mm-hmm. And if it's if it's not pink, it's not from the lungs. Good uh, good point. And I mean it can be dark red and have bubbles in it. And nope, you didn't get it. I mean it just Yeah. So we'll we'll drag into the uh the track. So you, so you get there and then you pulled out, was that a, a newer dog you said or well we have a um, like i said we have a network of trackers throughout west virginia and we like to get with them at least you know once a year check them out see how their dogs are doing and uh, your brother allowed us to run a, a, an apprentice dog is what okay. we're is one that's what learning called? okay yeah they're learning and get to we let uh, uh the handler run the whole track uh deal with your brother and like we weren't even there i mean that's how we started that's a job in itself dealing with tasha (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but uh once uh once the handler tried to run the track i mean her dog took us one way and we looked around there and uh, your brother was like i think the deer went that way you know pointed across the field so then I, I asked him a question. I said, how many deer were in the field when you shot? Mm-hmm. He said, there were a few. And I said, you could only see 10, 20 yards in the direction it went because the leaves on the tree. He said, yeah. So I said, we're not real sure where this right. deer went. And uh, But he did allow us to run that apprentice dog. And then he, uh, he said, well, why don't you break yours out, our experienced dog, see if we find it. And then rerun the track with the young dog. So he really let let us have a teaching situation. So we broke our our uh, head female dog out. Jessie took her on the track. And, and Jessie's the star. She's the star of the show. <laughs> okay, okay. She's a, she's pretty amazing. I, and it's not because of me. It's right. because of her. <laughs> she's a good one. Um, I think she found his deer in just about. 60 seconds wow. or a little longer. So it went like straight to it. Straight to it. She took us a little different route than Ty thought his deer went. Mm-hmm. But the way she went and the way she didn't slow down, I said, I know we have no blood. I mm-hmm. think that's the way he went. And he said, well. And we looked for blood throughout the field right. afterwards. Now, is that one thing that'll that'll screw up the dog? So. Say a hunter's out trying to track it before you get there. They're going back and forth, back and forth. Say they get some scent on their boots, and then they start walking back and forth. Does that mess up the dogs? It can, yes. Um, especially a dog with that's not as experienced, it will mess them up. Because uh, your dogs that don't have uh, completed their training or, or not as experienced are, are really signaling on that blood that, that's there. So if you're moving blood particles around... You could be confusing them. So they concentrate on the blood, um, and then there's other things they concentrate on too. Um, correct? They, right. The glands and interdigital um, interdigital scent. So when a deer's hit, especially with an arrow or a bullet or a car, they put out uh, adrenaline through their interdigital glands, and that's what 
we try to train all dogs to get to, to tra- track a bloodless track on just adrenaline only. Okay. That adrenaline is viable for 72 hours. Um, it, a deer that is mortally hit, uh, say a chest shot, they don't put out as much as one that's stressed, gut shot, liver shot. Those, de- those deer put out a lot of adrenaline. So I think that's why those are the easier tracks for really experienced dogs. Um, Some dogs have trouble finding, I mean, really intense dogs have trouble finding deer that are shot perfectly because there's not as much adrenaline in the air there for them. And then they got to go completely off blood. And it, it's hard to explain this to people. Right. Um, You know, I'm a biologist, so I, Kind of, you know, I understand mm-hmm. it. I understand what the dog's doing. understand how dogs hunt. And, um, but you get a hunter out there, and we had one this week in Roan County. He shot a deer, and I, I believe it was a high shoulder shot. And he ran that deer all over the country before he called us. He had Sounds blood, like me. <laughs> he had blood every step of the way mm-hmm. and couldn't figure out where this deer went um, after it bedded up. Well, what happened was it bedded up, it cleaned itself up, settled down, quit putting out adrenaline. Of course, he jumped it at some point, ran it off the property. But I would take Jesse back further on his trail, back and restart her over and over. And he said, your dog must be terrible. And I'm like, why? He said, because there's blood right there. She's paying no attention to it. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, she's telling me that your deer is alive. That's very interesting because so... I guess that would be one way that a dog can, in, even though, so say you go to a, a habitat-rich environment and you have deer running everywhere and you're out there the next day, I guess that's how the, the dog can really pinpoint, I'm not chasing those deer, I'm chasing right. this particular deer. Right, and I mean, we excuse the young pups a little bit on getting off on live deer tracks, but we, we train them um, as they... As they get on a few recoveries and they start differentiating between a, a deer that's mortally shot and a live deer, and if I can visually see them uh, uh, getting off track or, or visualizing a deer and wanting to run it, I actually shock them because our deer, our dogs don't chase deer. Mm-hmm. They are not deer-chasing dogs, and that's another thing the general public doesn't understand. They think, well, I can just take this deer-chasing beagle out and track a deer. No, he's going to chase a deer. Right. He's not going to track a wounded deer. And he might get lucky and run into one, but um, we we run into that a lot. We actually ran into that situation today where the hunter brought out a Brittany Spaniel and just ran it, hoping to find his deer. Mm-hmm. And he didn't tell me that on interview because <laughs> normally what we do is we double our rate if we got to go behind a dog. Right. Because now that can confuse the dog because they want to follow the other dog there, around. There's an old, uh, I can't remember the quote exactly, there's an old uh, dog training quote that it's, uh, you give me your dog, it's a, it's a fixed rate. You tell me that you didn't try to train your dog and I found out you did, it's double the rate. Yeah, you asked me to watch me train your dog, it's triple the rate. <laughs> right. right. So we we get that a lot. I mean, our dogs are trained to just be on wounded deer. Um, Jessie, our head dog, uh, she is good enough that when I set her on the track, she usually tells me pretty quick. Mm-hmm. If she's... Just mannerisms. You mannerisms. Can tell. Uh, she's a, she's a German Yog Terrier. Uh, so she's very intense and she's all work, all seriousness. She'll, I I can put her out and if I see her go up on her hind legs and stand there looking like a groundhog at its hole, tracks over. We know we're going after a dead one. So So do you keep, I'm unfamiliar with the laws, um, in West Virginia Mm -hmm. and I assume they vary from state to state. So in West Virginia, do they have to be on a leash? They have to be on a lead. Uh, it can't be any shorter than 10 feet or any longer than 30. Ooh, really? 
Yes, I don't know why they did that. I think they modeled another state. Uh, Ohio, they have to be on a lead. Um, I think it's no more than 30 in Ohio. Okay. Uh, Kentucky, they have to be on a lead, and I have not never I have never seen a lead length in Kentucky. I mean, you might be able to put them on a 60-foot lead, but I'd have to check into that. One thing I know that some of the states do, and again, I don't know about West Virginia. I'm, I'm learning just like everyone else here. Um, I know some states won't let you carry a weapon to dispatch the animal once they find it, which I don't understand at all because you think ethically you'd want to be able to dispatch right. as soon as possible. Um, is that that way in West Virginia or? Yes, a hand, handler cannot dispatch okay. in West Virginia. And uh, we actually had a situation last week where we had a live deer. Uh, that Was we, that your Facebook Live? Yes. I watched it, but go ahead and tell, yeah, tell everyone. That was in an urban setting. Uh, so we tracked this deer pretty quick. It, I at first thought it was a single one lung shot, but it ended up it was just a broadside gut shot. This deer bedded down and within 70 yards of the impact. The hunter jumped it because he followed it immediately. He backed out and called us, and we went, took up the track, and the dog took us right to the deer, and it was bedded. He was in he was in some grass and had his head flat on the ground, rather large buck. You wouldn't believe where he was hit at, and we were all over it. I kept telling the hunter, just be ready, be ready. He had his bow. We jumped the deer, and the deer took off. He couldn't get a shot. Well, I watched, and the deer ran around the hill and laid down about 100 y- yards away. So I told him, I said, listen, we can't push this deer. You're, you're in town. Mm-hmm. It's going to end up in somebody's yard, dead in their swimming pool, run into their car or something. We cannot push this deer. So we backed out, and I told him, I'll, I'll be back in three hours. So we ran and did some other stuff, came back. Well, while we were out, we called West Virginia DNR and the city police uh, where the urban hunt was at and informed them what was going on, and they told us to, you know, go on and, and make sure we, we got the deer out of there. So we retook up the track and got right back in on the deer again, and it was it's laying, it looked like it was dead to me, and it's bad, but I told him, put one more arrow in it. So he shot it, and he was using hypodermics, and he hit it in a high shoulder. And that arrow probably went in one inch. Wow. From five, six feet away from this deer. Wow. So, I mean, absolutely zero penetration. But it didn't move. I shook his hand. I thought the deer was dead. And Chrissy, she said, Sean, that deer's breathing. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw it blink its eye, and then it got up and took off. Wow. And you're, and you're really close to this deer. Yes. I mean, as a handler... I could have dispatched it. Right. So we sat down for another 30 or 40 minutes because I told him, I said, this deer didn't go far. He had one arrow left. <laughs> I said, that's, I told him, and I said, next time, don't shoot it in the shoulder, okay? Yeah. When you're trying to dispatch, you know, just don't shoot it in the shoulder. And I gave him a couple scenarios of where to place his arrow if we could get up on it again. Well, we, Jesse, I was holding her on my lap. She never settled down. Uh, she was yipping the whole time. The deer only went 50 yards. And he put a third arrow into it, and it got up and ran. So then I just said, uh, we'll be back in the morning. I mean, I, I told him, I said, I figured this deer's not going 50 yards. So we backed out, went back the next morning, about 75 yards, and, we, and the deer was dead. Mm. But uh, just to get back to your question about handler dispatch, it's something that I think uh, the, the trackers in the state would like to push for, something along the lines that uh, handler dispatch in certain situations. Right. Uh, the Europeans think we're barbarians over here, <laughs> hunting with bows and dispatching with a bow. Um, most of their trained handlers on tracks can dispatch, which, I mean, we have a system here in the state of um, concealed weapon. you got to go prove yourself. 
and I could see where we could maybe meld those two together where the handler has to have that NRA class or right. the DD 214 from the military showing that they were. I could see how they wouldn't want um, hunters to be able to do that just because, you know, someone would shoot with a pistol and then put an arrow through it. Right. But, I mean, if you're licensed, right. I, I don't see any reason and, ethically why you shouldn't be able to dispatch an animal. And if... And and each situation is different. I mean, even if if it was like in an urban setting, if you had to have a city police officer or somebody with you Mm -hmm. when you dispatched, I mean, uh, they do it. uh, All the time for roadkill deer and things like that. So from what I understand, they said the the law is complex on, hey, if you shoot a deer, you have to tag it, and there's a lot of things they would have Uh, to change. Either that or I'd run out of tags. <laughs> Fairly <laughs> so, quickly. Yes, yes. But uh, most of the time we find the deer dead. I mean, that's – but we do jump them. Mm. I mean, we, we had that in Ohio yesterday. Uh, deer was still alive. Took a hard hit, and, and he kept going. And we, left, we had to call the track finally because he just he, – he would go out so far in bed and get up and go again. And, and uh, we can't – can't be out there chasing them. Yeah, that's that's those are tough tracks for sure. Yeah. I mean, but at least we know the deer's alive, it's on its feet, and it's not going to waste in those situations. But, yes, handler dispatch is a big deal. We'd love to see that. So, also, I'm going to circle back to the lobbying. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about you might have to give your dog a little a little uh, stimulation. What do you use? Call you run collars on them? Yes, we use a Garmin system. It's the Garmin Mini TT 15s with the Alpha 100. Very familiar. I have a TT 15 with the 200i, but I did have the 100 till I yeah. turned it in. I had a nice top of the line 100 last year till I dropped it on a track, and then I had to get a refurbished <laughs> one, one of the older models to just. Yeah, so I've been looking at the 200s. I drool on those. Those are nice. I, yeah, have you seen one yet? I had one in my hand last oh, week. I was going to say, I, I should have brought mine. I'll let you play with it a little they, bit. They're very, yeah, very nice. But, I mean, we use that system not only to keep the dog focused. Mm-hmm. Um, like, most of the time, we, we are running terriers. They hunt anything and everything. They have a prey and kill drive that is so unbelievable um, that it can be hard to keep them focused. I mean, they will want to go kill a squirrel or a, a chipmunk or the deer or the neighbor's cows. I mean, you got to keep them focused. So that's one use of that. But our other use of that is for grid searching. I mean, we we record the tracks and, and, and set grid boxes with the dogs. So um, uh, that was one of the things I was going to ask you. So I, I saw in one of your videos, you said this is a grid body search, not tracking. Can right. you explain the difference between that? Because sure. in my mind, when I think body search, I'm thinking looking for cadavers. But right. I, I feel like I'm wrong. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> it, it's it's a dead deer, so it is a dead right. deer cadaver body. But um, sometimes you'll get in a situation, and we were in that situation today in Fayette County, West Virginia, down on the New River Gorge. Hunter shot his deer two days ago. And we, we were planning on going to him yesterday, but got tied up in Ohio for so long we couldn't make it. He had had three hard rains on his track, uh, blood completely gone, uh, interdigital, almost non-existent. So I told him, I said, I, I mean, we can come down and do a body search, which is basically running grids, box grids, and letting the dog hunt the air thermals or the breezes that are occurring. And then if she picks up anything, she'll go to the body of the deer. So and that's that's off lead. No, that's on lead. That's on lead. We have to do that on lead in West Virginia. Oh, okay. Okay. Everything has to be on lead. So gotcha. yeah, every mile she covers, we're right there with and, her. And that's even on private. You still have to even, be on lead. Even on private property, you have to do it on lead. Hmm. Yes. Um our our law enforcement in West Virginia is a very afraid of people hunting deer with dogs so they want them on lead okay constantly okay. believe me we've tried to get that changed too if you have them on e-collar they're under control See, of the handler. that's a, in my mind the e-collar is a leash but no one will yeah, agree with I, me I, with that yeah they, my dogs listen better on the e-collar than they do a leash but yes. <laughs> yeah but uh 
we would love to be able in certain situations to run off lead. Mm. Even at, in the rut, which we're getting ready to get into here, the whitetail rut, we'll receive 20 to 40 phone calls a day. And we will book up out to 72 hours. Wow. After that, I mean, you still, you can't get to everybody. But you could get to more people if you were allowed to search off lead because then you could at least go on trophy recoveries. Mm-hmm. Um, some people don't like that, but I mean, that's just a fact of whitetail hunting. You have two or three different levels of hunter. And uh, there's those guys that want those antlers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, you know, we could do more in this state to recover and try to tell uh, tell them a DNR, you know, that's a tag that's punched. Mm-hmm. Even if we recover five days after shot, that hunter has to tag that deer, even if he just has antlers. Mm-hmm. So there's a deer that's accounted for, tag punched, one less that's coming out of the herd because most hunters, you know, are going to go ahead and hunt. If they wound one, don't find it, they're going to go hunt. Uh, you got some guys that don't put their bows up for the year after they win one, but and then you got guys you go out and track four, three or four times in a year. So, and yes, we've done that. <laughs> that uh, I do have a few questions here, but sure. uh, that bl- brings me into one of them from uh, uh, the guy I was telling you about, one of my friends that's kind of starting out with with tracking dogs. That was one of the think five questions. Was do you see? a lot of your requests more trophy hunt requests is it more like hey my kid just shot their first deer we really want this um it, what 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 uh group of people are you seeing the most like crossbows regular bows traditional right. bow hunters uh, where are you getting the most calls from well I'll tell you the easiest one we haven't had any well we've had one traditional call last year uh, outfitter in Kentucky uh, he, he actually was hunting and shot one with traditional and needed, needed us to track, uh, as far as crossbow versus compound currently, it runs about 50, 50, uh, last year it seemed to be a little more crossbow hunters. Um, and I think as the year goes on, it will tilt towards crossbow hunters. Once we get in the rut, more guys are taking their vacation, getting out there. We get a lot of tracks from crossbows because I see guys handling them as if they are rifles. Mm. They're taking shots too far, bad angles. Uh, they think they can do with that crossbow that they can do with their .30-06, and you just can't do it. Um, It'll probably I'm probably going to get some heat for this comment, but uh, so there there's a saying and I told my brother it just be, just because he didn't look for the deer. But there's a saying that says a traditional bow hunter will look for a deer for three days. A compound bow hunter will look for a deer for a day. And a crossbow hunter will look for a deer for an hour. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> now, I know that's not necessarily true, no. but I, I just like to burn them a little bit on that. Right. I, I mean, we get we get calls from all all spectrum. I mean, we, we'll go track anything for mm-hmm. anyone. I mean... Uh, well, we've been getting a lot of first deer requests this year for kids, uh, first bucks during archery season. That's great to see. Yeah. Um, this year, I mean, it's because it's the second year of it being legal, we're seeing more uh, in different scenarios mm-hmm. popping up. But uh, you don't get as many calls for does, which I know people don't like to pay, but... Um, Usually, if they call and they're and they're close to our home, and we can, and they allow us to bring a training dog, where we can train, cut them a really good price break, and mm-hmm. give them some brownie points for if they ever need <laughs> a, a a real track. So, but we've tracked small spikes and four points, and we've tracked two hundred inch deer. So I mean, I remember you telling me about that one ninety five you guys recovered. That's that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it, that was a pretty good buck out of Clay County. Uh, it was a, it was something. <laughs> now I will say one positive thing about the uh, the crossbows since since I since I harped on them a, a tad. Right. Uh, I'm not against them at all. Um, the I've seen it with a few of my friends that are just terrible shots 
with a with a compound. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, they miss deer every year. They wounded deer, and then the crossbows came around, and now. I mean, they're taking better shots, ethical shots, better shot placement. Right. And, you know, that's a great thing to see as well. Right. I I mean, I I don't have any problem with them. I own one. I can't shoot one. I can't I can't hit the broadside of a barn with one. I'm probably gonna get one because my shoulder's so messed <laughs> up, honestly. I mean, uh I I shot at a doe this year at eighteen yards and probably shot a foot over her back. I just can't shoot one. <laughs> So I hung up. I said, I told our daughter, JC, I said, this is now your crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> she won on that deal. Yeah. I, I can, I shoot a compound better any day of the week. But we just, I mean, you see these guys that try to make up for poor shots with better equipment. I mean, that's kind of, you know, you'll go out and they'll be, they'll have a $2,000 Raven crossbow with some kind of digital sight on it. And shooting, you know, fifty dollars a pack for two with these special rage broadheads, and they're still taking these shots that just make no sense. Like a deer facing them or shooting them. Oh, I held on his shoulders. I knew I could break him down. <laughs> okay, no, it doesn't work that way with right. archery equipment. Yep, you might get lucky every once in a while, and I've shot enough of them to know you can get lucky every once in a while. So. So as far as uh, we're talking a little bit, I'm going to hop back onto the lobbying. What was the holdup with West Virginia getting to the point where we needed to um, legalize this? Right. Well, the holdup was West Virginia DNR law enforcement did not want dogs in the woods chasing deer during deer season. And it took a massive education effort that these dogs do not chase deer. Uh, I had the colonel tell me last year when I was working with him on possibly getting the e-collar as under control of the handler. And he was dead set against it. I mean, just dead set. He don't want the dogs off lead. Uh, Since then, he's retired, so hopefully I can work with the new colonel on, on some stuff. But... He was dead set against it. He said, you, this is one of the few things, we're one of the only states in the nation that require a, a tracking business to hold an outfitting license. Okay, I have to hold an outfitting license to run a tracking business. Hmm. If you don't have an outfitting license, you can't charge a dime, you can't take money, you can't take any consideration. It's wrote the same as West Virginia bear laws are. So his main concern was, well, you're an outfitter. So you can technically sell a deer hunt. Yes, I can. And he said, so you could put somebody in a tree stand for a three-day hunt, and on the third day, they're not having any luck. You could take your dogs out, turn them loose, and let them run a deer to that hunter. I'm like, that's not what they do. <laughs> and he said, yeah, but how can I, you know, how can my officers in the field prove otherwise, you know? It, it, so I said, well, I'll, I'll give up on that one this year, but... He'll be back. I will, I'll be back. I'll be back. We'll, and we have a group of guys that'll be back there to speak about it. But um, So speaking of a group of guys, we'll go ahead and hop on into your business. Okay. You said you have a couple different groups under you. I think you said in the Eastern Panhandle. Right. Tell, tell me a little bit about your business. Well, um, when we first, West Virginia legalized this, uh, we knew um, for some some reason they've been leery of it so then we got the bill through and at the last minute the west virginia bear hunters association for some reason wanted the the outfitter clause put in there where you had to hold an outfitting license to be able to charge on track i can't get their president to explain that to me fully something about well if you're going to be tracking bears that you shouldn't be charging to do it unless there's a, a greater threshold. Okay, so I, I've been in front at the legislature, uh, West Virginia le- legislature sessions. Uh, West Virginia DNR commission meetings have spoke on this for years, so we saw it was going to pass. And we have always had dogs that would track deer. But Chrissy and I went ahead and invested in the 
a little higher class dog. I mean, you get what you pay for. So we went out and bought these German Yog Terriers to get started on a chance that it was going to, if not, I just had some expensive hunting dogs. Mm. It's it's Yog Terriers, Yog not terrier. Jag Terriers. Well, the the good old boys around here call them Jags. Well, I was going to say, because I, the, I was yeah. calling them Jag Terriers, but yeah. okay. But it is Yog Terrier. It's, I pronounce everything wrong. Yeah, so. it's, uh, if you, <laughs> everybody, everybody out there has had a drink once or twice and it has been around Jägermeister, so... Same word. It's the German word for hunt. So these are German oh, okay. hunt terriers. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we went ahead and invested in the terriers, and they passed the law, and, and they, they said, you got to have an outfitting license. Well, first, I just about was like, are you crazy? Is this crazy? Why would they limit people to be able to make a living? You know, mm, I mean, yeah. Uh, there's guys over in Ohio that track three months out of the year that make make a living off tracking. I don't know that West Virginia will ever get to that point. So Chrissy said, well, let's just settle down and think about that for a little bit. Outfitting licenses are not cheap. The, the license itself is. It's $10. That's all I was wondering how much you're, you're looking at for that. You have to have a West Virginia business license, which is another 10 But then you have to carry... Bonds and liability insurance, which is not cheap. You're looking upwards of $2,000 a year. Wow. So just because somebody has a dog that tracks deer doesn't mean they can afford to do that. So we went ahead and I took a deep breath because we weren't planning on creating this huge business. We were planning on having tracking dogs and and just having a part-time hobby. Part-time outdoors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Part-time outdoors. Uh, we like to hunt, so, you know, we really didn't want to track all the time, but we, we wanted to be able to do it. Well, when they when they put that clause in there, the outfitter clause, we got our license, started doing some research. We were the only trackers in the state that got our license, but there's other trackers in the state, and some have pretty good dogs that have tracked Ohio, Kentucky, they live on the borders, um, Maryland. So we started uh, last fall inviting some of those people to come work for us as contractors or guides because we're an outfitter. We can hire guides. And and that took, I had to go through the director and the colonel to make sure that was legal. And they were like, yeah, it's just like a whitewater business. You know, you can hire a guide to do whitewater rafting. You can hire a guide to do deer hunting or turkey hunting so that's what our we hired trackers so we have a a network of contract trackers five or six of them throughout the state we're adding more actually just added a couple more this week because people come to you and say i want to work for you um because they find out oh i've been charging and that's illegal right yeah so then they got to go under you yeah, they come under us, and all we ask is for a very small percentage off each track to pay for the license. Then as we started getting our name around with the Yog Terriers, people were wanting these Terriers to track with. Well, I can't just breed litters and then start handing them out to everybody, and then they put us out of business because mm-hmm. now we've created a business. Right. Um, we, we have a network of trackers last week or last year, now we've created a business that's starting to grow. We're the only licensed trackers in the States, so our name's everywhere. People push us that we don't even know. People are recommending us that we don't even know. It's networked out incredibly. So I'm like, now how am I going to move pups without cutting my own throat? So what I've come up with is franchising pups. Uh and we just opened a franchise over in the Harper's Ferry area in the Eastern Panhandle uh, with one of our pups, pups in our name. We own the dog. The couple that got the dog raises it. They're going to train it our way. And in conjunction with us, we retain the breeding rights, everything like that with this dog. And they're going to track that dog in the Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland area. So we've got a franchise over there. And, and I give, that, and that won't cut into your business here. No, and I gave them a protected area. And plus I get a cut off their tracks. 
and then they can bring in other trackers on their area, and it just cuts in. I mean, it's 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 they could interesting. Get, they could get big quick. It could. So this week, this last week, we were contacting one of our areas we really need a good solid tracker in is Southern West Virginia in the Bowhunting only counties. We go down and cover that, and we have a good friend in Kentucky that works for us. Uh, his name's Paul Priest, and he comes up and covers it, but it's still a dead area for us. Paul can't cover all of them because he has his own core area in Kentucky that he tracks, but he just helps us out. So we are getting ready to open another franchise in Oceana, Wyoming County with one of our Yog Terriers. So that'll be a big announcement. First time I've put it out right here on the show. I was going to say, I think you this just announced it. This is first time. <laughs> but that'll be a big announcement on Facebook across our platforms here in a few weeks once the pup hits eight weeks old because he's only three weeks old right now. Wow. So. so you just had a litter then? Uh, in conjunction with a, a, a breeder that has lines we like to breed with, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, he's out of Lexington, Kentucky, and... Um, I think I've been buying all his pups up <laughs> every time we have a litter. So, uh, so that's what we're lo- our next step is we're looking at. We we keep hiring contract trackers with their own dogs, and then we're doing the franchise thing. Uh, I want to get a franchise in Ohio, Kentucky, um, possibly Indiana, and then some of the southern states. So my co-host Nate, he had to work tonight, but. Um... Right. He's going to Indiana public land in two weeks. So I don't know how much you want to get into Indiana, but he might he might be yeah. calling you. Well. He shot a nice buck there uh, last year. Indiana out there has public. some nice deer, mm-hmm. yes. Um, yeah, and our, our business, I mean, our business model has evolved, and, and now we have it on a, uh, you could say, a track. And it's, it, I mean, uh, we're exploding this year. It's It's been nonstop phone calls since Kentucky's season came in and then Ohio and West Virginia came in on the same deer or same day this year and I think we did Chrissy and I did five or six tracks in the first 24 hours wow uh yeah so when you guys cross state line say say I shoot a deer right across the line in Kentucky do you have to also be licensed in Kentucky as well uh Ohio and Kentucky require a hunting license Okay. Uh, they do not require a outfitting license or anything like that. They require a hunting license. Pennsylvania is the same way. Okay. Must have a hunting license to track those states. So, uh, yeah, West Virginia, like I said, is one of the only states that require the full, full-blown outfitting license. So another question from my buddy. He wants to know how payments work. He wants to know... Do you get paid beforehand? Do you get paid after? Um, I guess that just kind of stems, I'm assuming mostly cash, but I guess this kind of stems from, have you ever showed up, um, not found the deer, and then the hunter maybe trying to be like, well, you don't know what you're doing, trying to stiff you or uh, something like that? Like, how, how, do, how do you do payments? Well, what I do is I explain to them the hunter beforehand. I'm, I'm very honest with a hunter. I'll tell them, I, you what you've explained to me is a very low recovery rate. And if they have us come out, I mean, sometimes it's a therapy session. And I t- and our, our rates are based off mileage uh, from wherever the tracker's coming from. And I will tell, tell them, you know, this, this is the rate. Um, it's payable for us just to show up. Uh, I don't take payment as soon as I get there. I probably should. I've never had the situation. <laughs> I hope I didn't jinx you. <laughs> no, I haven't had that situation yet. Uh, the reason I don't is because we have a requirement for ourselves. If it's a viable track, we want to advance that track. Okay, most hunters have marked last blood or say I've tracked this deer 100 yards. My requirement of my trackers and of ourselves is to advance the track. If we can't advance the track, I'll cut the rate. Fair. Yeah. Um, but just because we can't advance the track doesn't mean the dog isn't doing their job. It just may mean that deer's alive mm-hmm. and the hunter didn't do their job. But you still want to have good public relations. Right. So if you can't advance the track, you know, something. I try to find something. And 
most of the time our dogs advance the track. Sometimes it's pretty amazing how far they advance it, even on a live deer. So now do you will you pick I know I know you have Yog Terriers or Jag Terriers or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them, and you also have bloodhounds. Mm-hmm. Based off of the animal that you're tracking, whether you're tracking a bear or boar or deer or whatever, mm-hmm. do you specifically take a dog for a specific animal or are they just kind of all kind of geared towards the okay. tracking? Uh, they're all geared towards the tracking, but we do. At our bloodhound's young. He's only seven months old. As I get him trained, his value is going to come on old tracks. And whether that's deer or bear or elk, because we go to Kentucky and we track elk. Uh, so if I can't get there for two days, I'm going to take him with me once, he, once he's trained, because the bloodhound's value is being able to cold trail, pull, pull a track from the ground, as some of the old guys say. So that's where his value's at. And right now he's just a lazy blob, I'll tell you that. (laughs) But he's a good dog. He'll come along, um, work with a lot of bloodhounds. Uh, They're not my favorite, but they they have a big value. As far as bears, uh, we have a cur dog, uh, blackmouth cur. She's good on deer, but she shows a lot of promise on bears. She's a year old. Uh, Curs take one to four years to really mature um and they're shy they're reclusive uh, they're but they do once they get out and start hunting they they get pretty bold as they get older and mature she's shown me some promise i'm hoping to get her we've been taking her on some tracks this year last year she wouldn't even walk on a lead this year she's actually tracking and uh, i'm hoping to get her some recoveries um uh this year uh then we get around to our terriers. I take my Jesse dog, she'll track anything. <laughs> and that's the way I trained her. Uh, the Germans bred them as a versatile hunting breed. She will track boars, uh, bears, deer, turkeys. Bow shot turkeys in the fall are legal to track. Oh, really? I didn't know. Yes, that. because you can use turkeys to hunt, or, or deer to hunt. Or, excuse me. You can use dogs to hunt turkeys in the fall in West Virginia. Oh. So, therefore, it's legal to track. Um, really? So, so I have pointing dogs. Obviously, I, have, I hunt pheasant and grouse and all that. Right. So, I can take my dog out and actually hunt turkeys with it? Yes. Um, wow. Because Huntley, my oldest dog, is a turkey machine. There you go. There so, you go. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. If he barks, barks on on when he busts the flock. Well, he pointed one. I probably shouldn't say this on there. He when I was brand new mm-hmm. to hunting, he I was in the pheasants fields, and he had a nice solid point, but it was on the wood wood line, and a, a huge bird came up, and of course I took a crack. I was like, wow, like. I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I didn't know what a pheasant really even looked like. I was like, that was a huge pheasant. And I ended up realizing that was a turkey. And I'm glad I I totally totally missed. I think turkey season was in at the time, but I completely missed. But I was like, hmm, turkey dog. Right. But, uh, yeah, as far as uh, once you really get that trust in one dog, and you know this as a dog person, uh, and I have that right now with, with our Jess dog, I'll take her to track anything. I mean, I, I just have that trust in her. She was on bears last year. They were all marginally shot. We didn't recover any. But, I mean, she followed them, and we advanced tracks just incredible amounts of distances. She's She's been on elk. Um, she's had elk recoveries. Uh, she's she's She is actually pushing. She's not even two years old yet and is pushing – 40 recoveries right now. Wow. Which is amazing. I know guys that have had their dogs five or six years in in states with multiple, multiple deer bag limits that are only at 50 recoveries with their dogs at five and six years of age. So wow. I'm just amazed at, at what she does and, and the breed. I mean, I'm amazed with the old terrier breed. Um, and that's why we've decided to go with them and make those our, our standard. So speaking of breeds, um, two-part question, yeah, probably be the last two questions I, I hit you with. 
do one do you train will you train other people's dogs um and two can you train any dog so for example i have german short hairs are you able Mm -hmm. to train those for deer yes um well we run the long spur tracking school here uh in buckhannon we we take in we like to have three dogs a month here uh this time of year i try to keep two in but we're doing a more advanced training with them on actual live tracks. So usually people are sending us more experienced dogs. We get them from all over the country. We've had dogs from Florida, Texas, Illinois, um, Pennsylvania, uh, all the surrounding states, Ohio, Kentucky. Uh, we've trained some pretty high-powered dogs uh, that are doing great things out there in the tracking world right now. Um, we, we offer a couple of day, we, we'll do a month-long starter training with any dog that, that shows promise, no matter the age, uh, as long as they pass a few tests. Because just, we just don't want to take somebody's money and, right. and board their dog for a month, basically. Um, what time frame are you looking for for a finished dog? Is that something that takes about like three months or so? Or well, I know it's different for every dog, but yeah, just like kind of an average. We we try to call them a well started because it, I think in the tracking world you can never get to finished because mm. something you learn something every day in the tracking world with your dog. You can have the best dog in the world and it's never finished. Absolutely. Okay. It takes us one to three months to get a well started pup, depending on the breed. One of the things I've noticed with the Yog Terriers, I get them at eight weeks old. By the time they're 12 weeks old, they're going to track. Um, labs are very smart at tracking. And then you said German short hair pointers. Uh, we've trained some. and Oh, you have trained some. Yeah. The, the German breeds, especially if you can get direct lines from, from Europe, are the best hunting dogs on the face of the earth. And I mean, German wire hair, German short hair, the German Yog Terrier, Bavarian scent hounds, and the uh, Deutsch Drathar. I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of those online. I've never seen one in those person. Those are, I want one. Yeah, I just I've, I've trained them. <laughs> they're more, they're more bred for fur than they are feather, but they'll hunt everything. They're a versatile breed. The Germans know what they're doing with their dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have had them all here, and one of our best students uh, was a German wire-haired D.D. Uh, Cross. Her name was Elsa. She came to us last year on the day before Halloween. I have, uh, as, as a bird dog, she was so tuned to finding deer. She had five or six recoveries, training recoveries for us. That's where we, we, we've shot deer, and we know where they went and put her on the track, she'd go to them. Well, currently this year, she's back with her owner. She was with us from uh, Halloween until March. Uh, They are seven for seven, and a couple of the tracks they weren't successful on deer showed back up on camera, so those are successful tracks. Um, She's 100% right now. That's awesome. Yeah, I I get proud of my students. Um, I have bloodhounds in Ohio that we've trained that are high-powered bloodhounds for Graph Outdoors uh, Bloodhound Deer Recovery Services over in Dayton, Ohio. His dogs are came to our school. He, they weren't just honing in on interdigital scent. So what I did is I took one in September. He has two, male and a female. I took one in September, one in October, and we ran them hard on live tracks and actually got them recoveries for clients. I mean, we went out and tracked them and and tried to figure out what they were doing wrong, how to keep them directed. One thing a bloodhound won't do most of the time is they won't go up to a deer. They get you in the area and they're done. (laughs) What we try to do with the bloodhounds is bring the prey drive out. We want them to, by the time they leave here, be grabbing deer and shaking them, uh, showing showing some life. Most bloodhounds won't. Depending on the situation, you know, if you're at night in an overgrown field and they get you within 20 feet, it may not be the 20 feet you needed. Right. Yeah, so. Very true. But, yes, we do train other people's dogs. Now, what was the second part of your question? Oh, you you answered it was, uh, do you train other people's dogs and can you train other oh. uh, 
types of dogs. Yes, so. uh, and, and I say, yeah, the German short hair pointers. Um, That's I all have, I was getting at, in case I ever need my dog I trained. <laughs> uh, I used to raise a line of spring, hunting Springer Spaniels here in West Virginia, and every one of those would go find a wounded deer. Um, a lot of my guys use blue ticks that are bred for bear hunting or coon hunting, but you get them young enough and you train them uh, on what how we get them started, and it's easy to make them a, a tracker. Good to know. Um, you get, I mean, you can get lucky and get some kind of a crossbreed that'll track, mm. but you get what you pay for. Sometimes you got to put a little more time. I get give every dog a chance. I mean, yep. we have a crossbreed here at the house, a little terrier, and he's he's pretty good at it. But it took him a while to catch on. Where I take these yog terriers, and like I said, as soon as their prey drive kicks in, about eight weeks old. Oh, that early. They're yes. Uh, you saw the one running around here. He's already been on a couple of deer, so, and he's only twelve weeks old now. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Well. Um, Sean, we appreciate you coming on. If you want to go ahead and tell people how they can get a hold of you, sure, and uh, just get in contact with you in case they get in that situation. This, <laughs> okay. this we got rut coming up, so yeah. Uh, one of the first ways we like people, uh, especially they can come on and follow us, is on our Long Spur Tracking and Outfitting Facebook page. Uh, come on there, like us. Um, it grows exponentially. It seems every hunting season that goes by, uh, we're up to about 3000 followers in several States and countries. Um, I think you and I talked about that, about mm-hmm. the podcast. Now <laughs> that's where we, yeah, we have, um, but that's one way. Come on there. Long spur tracking and outfitting on Facebook. Uh, like us on there. Uh, you can use that as a platform then to message us and get a hold of us, which is what I did. Yes. <laughs> um, we had, and I'll put our phone number out there. It's 304-439-1659. And that's 304-439-1659. You can call or you can text. Uh, we prefer that you text, uh, use some kind of text option to get hold hold of us first. Because we, number one, we could be on somebody's track. And number two, we are hunters. So when we aren't, tracking we're trying to sit in a tree stand <laughs> ourselves so if my phone's constantly ringing uh but we do get back to people and we have a chain on on facebook messenger of all the trackers in the state and if you can tell me where you're at where you're located a little bit of your situation i can pass that on that chain and have a tracker get a hold of you pretty quick so we try to take care of everybody within an hour or so uh, of them getting a hold of us. Yeah, you guys got back to me pr- really quickly. So. We we try. I mean, it, it can be tough, but we try. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll be a wrap for uh, episode six. There was one thing I wanted to add. Uh, I was going to somehow get it in the episode one way or another, but um, your daughter. Oh, yes. <laughs> we we got to tell them this because this is just impressive. We don't, I mean, we don't have very many record holders in West Virginia, uh, no. so we got we to gotta brag when we can. You want to tell them what your daughter did? Well, spring of uh, 2020, uh, of course, everybody was on COVID lockdown. And so we started, we mushroom hunted a lot that spring just to be socially distanced out in the woods, away from everybody. And it was, it was a really good mushroom year in West Virginia and on the East Coast. And we uh, were out turkey hunting and actually coming back to the house. And, and Chrissy said, oh, stop stop the side-by-side. There's mushroom by the wreck. And uh, it's a log trail. So I, I got out. Chrissy got out. JC got out. And those two, their eyes got big. Like, what in the world? And Chrissy is like, be careful, be careful, be careful. These were some of the biggest morels there were 36 of them and the biggest one happened to be the largest morel found in the united states in 2020 that is crazy the crazy thing is is you know the things that will go viral (laughs) that you don't think of (laughs) jc went viral with this mushroom overnight she had a hundred thousand hits wow and i'm like 
She has her own Facebook page. It's called Raised Right with Jacy. There you go. She does a lot of stuff outdoors. Shameless plug. Get her some yeah. more followers. Get her some more followers. And uh, she goes and tracks with us. Uh, she's an outdoors girl. But here she found this mushroom. It, it went viral. The next thing we're saying, where's it going? Where? So we start doing some Facebook research. The Outdoor Channel had picked it up and was sharing it. Uh, it ended up on Steve Rinella's page. Actually, one of his writers got a hold of us and did an article. Wow. Um, she also ended up on the radio, uh, West Virginia Metro News. Uh, she was on their uh, website page. Uh, local television stations in out of Clarksburg came down, did a story on it. We should have put her on this podcast, too. She, I didn't know we had a celebrity in the she, house. She ended up with over a million hits on this mushroom, wow. which amazed me. And now she's always asking. This spring, she was disappointed because she didn't find one that big. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, we actually found a patch of mushroom morels that impressed me more than the one big one did. We actually found a patch where we found two or 300 large morels. Wow. But she was disappointed because there weren't any big ones. And these were <laughs> these were large ones, but... You know, eight or nine inches, but she was disappointed there wasn't a 15 inch one. So, for anyone that's going to try to get on her uh, Facebook and try to figure out the spot, I already tried. She's <laughs> sealed lipped and she yeah. will not give up her spot. Right. So, <laughs> right. She's very good about that. So, all right. Well, appreciate you coming on. That's a wrap for episode six. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us on, Matt.